0: Welcome to Fostering Solutions, a podcast that uplifts people and enterprises making positive impact in communities around the world. I'm your host, Dr. Michelle Foster. This episode is a treat for me. I have two of two of my girls, two of my squad, are the GT girls who are joining me on Fostering Solutions. Karen Wharton and Saren Nurse. Saren recently became Dr. Saren Nurse, so we got to make sure we give her, give her her props there. So uh, good evening,
1: ladies. Good evening, good evening, Michelle. Good evening, Dr. Foster. Well,
0: thank
2: you. <laughs> good evening, Dr. Foster and Dr. Nurse.
1: <laughs>
2: Ms. Wharton, good to see you. Good yeah. to see
0: all of you. Good to see you all. And, you know, we, we our friendship was cemented, I believe, through our um, service and giving back to our native country. We were all Guyanese immigrants who went to uh, the same high school in Guyana, Queen's College of Guyana. And um, that's kind of what we all have in common. So today we're just going to look at. I think we're all in a season of our careers where we're pursuing our passions and we're just going to, you know, talk about leadership and our our journeys and what, you know, what we look to the, what we hope for our future. So let's start off by just telling the audience about who we are. Um, Karen, you want to start? Tell the audience about yourself.
2: Sure. Uh, so firstly, I have to thank you for inviting me and uh, for sharing your audience with me Uh, and it's a real pleasure delight and honor so I'm Karen and I we've been knowing each other since you know I was what like 12 or 13 and you were a year behind me at school Mm -hmm. Uh, so I was born in Guyana Uh, I come from in Guyana, what is considered a countryside. So it's a few miles outside of Georgetown. Uh, But by and large, my education was in Guyana, in Georgetown. So I was a country girl who traveled every day on on the bus to school in Georgetown. Uh, And that's at some point in high school, I met you. Uh, We became friends, um, high school friends. Uh, when I was about, when I was 15 years old, we migrated to New York, uh, and I had, I had finished enough high school in Guyana where I could have gone on to college, but I was uh, 15. I actually turned 16 almost immediately on arriving here, and I was, so I was 16. I was still too young to go to uh, college, and but more importantly my family uh, didn't have enough knowledge of the system to properly locate me. Uh, So uh, the very next best thing was for me to go back to high school. So I went to high school for a year in Brooklyn. Uh, On graduating, I went to school in Boston uh, for engineering. Uh, After I did, I graduated and I worked at engineering for a few years And I didn't really like it. It wasn't exactly what I thought it would be. It was a little bit too lonely, too solitary, uh, because I was a hardware engineer. Uh, So I got myself retrained uh, and um, into more like software support and moved to Minneapolis uh, where I did software sales for a few years before moving back to the East Coast because my family was still in Brooklyn. Uh, and uh, I worked at uh, in technology for years until relatively recently, about four years ago, uh, when my group was offshore to India. I um, then took that opportunity to, you know, basically assess where I was in life. And I made a decision to pursue my passion. Uh, and uh, so I Became involved in political consulting. Now, I'd always been on the periphery of campaigns and those kinds of stuff. Uh, I volunteered all the way back in um, Jesse Jackson's uh, campaign for president in 1988. So that's how far back, right? My advocacy kind of went. So, but then I I, I made a plunge. Uh, it was kind of um, serendipitous in a way. And here I am, I am currently uh, working as a democracy coalition coordinator. Uh, So I'm driving, uh, advocating for expanded and more secure democracy in the state of New York. And that's about it. I'm married with a kid. My daughter is about to graduate from college. I'm really proud of her. Uh, So, you know, the the photograph of uh, Judge Jackson, And uh, today, when was it? Sometime this week with her daughter off to the side, just looking at her like really lovingly, that kind of like resonated because, you know, I'd like to see that out of my daughter, you know, we have a (laughs) relationship.
0: (laughs) Okay, thank you, Karen. Saren, tell the audience about yourself
2: thank
1: you again for having me, Michelle. Um, so my name is Sarah Nurse, and uh, currently I am a faculty member at Kean University in Union, New Jersey. Uh, I teach in the business school and I teach uh, entrepreneurship and all the business subjects. And I also do research on entrepreneurship. So my research interest is uh, in understanding the resilience of black entrepreneurs, and also understanding racial disparities amongst entrepreneurs, different different uh, groups of entrepreneurs, and so understanding why, what drives racial disparities in performance and in outcomes amongst entrepreneurs. Uh, so, how did I get here? Um, so, I, I think this is probably like my third career change. Mm-hmm. Um, originally from Guyana, I left Guyana when I was seventeen. I uh, came to Florida where I did my undergraduate degree at Florida International University. I did marketing and international business, a double major. And after that, I worked in retail for a couple of years as an associate buyer for federated Department stores, which is Macy's. Uh, After that, I went to business school where I did my MBA at Georgetown and was recruited by American Express to work in their marketing division in New York. So I moved from DC to New York. So I moved from Florida, from Guyana to Florida, then to DC, then to New York. I was at American Express for about maybe three years and I did not like it. I I always say, I think I'm not the personality for corporate job. And interestingly, while I was there, I thought about, well, you know, I was really depressed at, at a certain point and I thought about what could I do? And I had never been the entrepreneurial type. But I think, you know, when you're, when, you know, when you're pressed against the wall, when you're back against against the wall in terms of, you know, your sanity, you think about what can I, what can you do? Mm-hmm. And so I started thinking, you know, I think I've been doing a human spa. And I think going back to cosmetology school. And I was sitting in Fort Greene, Brooklyn one day with a friend of mine. And I said to my, and it was, you know, one of those horrible days at work, said to myself, you know, I can go walk dogs for a living. I'm looking around the neighborhood. I see dog walkers, they're walking 10 dogs at a time. I could do that. And I was looking, and I I did some research, they make a lot of money. Some dog walkers make up up to $100,000 a year. Is that right? Wow. Would you believe that, you know, but you gotta be walking like these 10 dogs, you have to walk like 10 dogs at a time to do that. And I said, you know what, the other issue with that is that I'm from the Caribbean, I can't deal with the cold. So what would I do in the winter months? For our income if I was a dog walker. So I kept thinking more and more about it. I would go back to Fort Green I actually lived in Prospect Heights, which was a neighboring uh, area to Fort Green at the time, but I loved Fort Green. I loved the, you know, I loved the vibe of it, all these beautiful black people. It was a very artsy creative neighborhood. So I kept going back there and I kept noticing that there's all these dogs in this neighborhood. There's this huge park, but there's no pet supply store. I started thinking. And I'm famous for writing a business plan. Like I love doing research, which is why I'm actually (laughs) an academic now. Uh So I did a a business plan and found that there was really an opportunity to to actually do a pet supply and grooming store in Fort Greene. So I ended up uh, at that point, I I left my job because my my department had a reorganization at American Express. I took a severance package and and this was around 9-11. Enrolled in dog grooming school a week after I left the American Express and opened up my first pet care services store in Fort Greene a year and a half later, Kiki's Pet Spa Boutique. Uh, this was in 2003. After that, I opened up another store in 2005, another in 2006. Opened up about, I think I opened up seven seven stores in the space of 20 wow. years. So some of them consolidated. And then in 2015, I started thinking, what is the purpose of my life? And I, I'm thinking about well, how can I scale the impact on what I have learned as an entrepreneur of color. Went back, did a doctorate, uh, my area was entrepreneurship, and went into academia. Mm-hmm. Sold Kiki's Pet span Boutique in January of this year. And so I'm no longer a practicing entrepreneur, but officially an entrepreneur educator and researcher.
0: Awesome. fascinating. So you all have shared your career trajectory. Um in your, you know, the story about yourself. Um, and you know, like I had the starting point in Guyana myself. As we mentioned, we went to the same high school. I immigrated at 17, even though Saren is much, much, much younger than I am. <laughs> it
1: took you so long to get to that point, Michelle. <laughs> <laughs> You are usually on point from the beginning. Much, much, much younger. Much, much.
0: She hangs out with me and Karen, but she's much. She reminds us that she's much, much, much younger. But uh, you know, started off in Guyana, loved math and science, but didn't have a clue as to what you know what I wanted to be. My family immigrated to Brooklyn. We 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 picked a school that we didn't even realize it was it was a a two year school, uh, New York Tech. I didn't realize until I started, my parents and I, we had, you know, we weren't familiar with the system. But I remember being in study group and someone saying, oh, Michelle, you're so good at this stuff. It was like calculus or whatever it was. Have you thought of being a chemical engineer? And I said, well, huh. I would have looked it up and said, okay, I can, I think I can handle all the prerequisites. So I became a chemical engineer. And my first job, I left New York on my you know, friends thought I was going to the boonies, but went to, uh, my first job was in, at BP in Cleveland and they were downsizing, started looking, I started looking for another job and ended up in um, Charleston, West Virginia, working as an engineer for Union Carbide. And it was through my volunteer efforts at, you know, in the afternoons and, and whatnot, through, through my volunteer efforts at, at a local church that, that I really discovered my passion. And I took a leap of faith to develop a nonprofit that was um, still is around engaging in a number of community economic development programming. And then I ended up being recruited to be um, the president and CEO of a uh, community foundation. So, I went from engineering to nonprofits to philanthropy. So that's been kind of my my journey. So I, I think it, it's safe to say that we're all pursuing our passions. We really kind of followed what was setting our soul and souls on fire, and that, you know, we're just excited to be, you know, black immigrant women um, getting things done. so when you when you when you ladies think about, you know, what did you have to learn? What skills, we know you had, you know, you were, got your formal education, but beyond that, what skills, attitudes, behaviors, whichever one you wanna talk about, did you have to learn or adopt to achieve career success? It's like, what are those other things that you had to learn?
2: So uh, one of the things That uh, I don't know if I had to learn it, but one of the things that has served me well is uh, that I am self-taught, or I can teach myself things. Uh, So I've and I've been I've always done that. Uh, So uh, I did engineering. Um, You mentioned the math and science. I was always good in math and science, Uh, and then I had a what I consider to be a negative experience in high school in Guyana that got me to think it just, you know what, focus on bits and bytes, ones and zeros and you'll be okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then I came over here, uh, the sum- my first summer here, uh, my mom, my mother bought a washing machine and in those days, uh, they had delivered the washing machine and then someone would come a few weeks later, days later and put it together. Uh, and so I was alone at home and I opened a manual and I figured it out. <laughs> Impressive. <laughs> <laughs> and I just put the washing machine together. I mean, I had some difficulties here and there. Mm-hmm. And even in college, uh, my first job was a uh, um, was as a, a secretary, a typist, and I couldn't type, but taught myself to type. I taught myself uh, the software uh, that was required, it was WordPerfect, I taught myself that. By the end of four, day, four years, I was a WordPerfect queen. Uh, I, my first job as a hardware engineer, my first day, uh, I arrived and they gave me a stack of books and says, hey, Karen, you know, we just bought this software and um no one here knows how to use it so here are the manuals figure it out so i've always figured it figured things out and Mm -hmm. i think that uh that is the one skill that propels me forward and and i guess gives me the confidence because i i mean it's not like i think like you know i can go from today to being a rocket scientist tomorrow, Uh, not anything like that. But I mean, within reason, uh, I feel like I am uh, a lot of a lifetime learner. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I can, you know, I'm not afraid of necessarily taking on new challenges because I know that I will be able to learn whatever it is. I may not you know, I may not be good at it today. I may not, I may struggle today because I am new, but given enough time, I'm gonna master it or at least have some mastery of it. Uh, So that's the one thing that I carry with me uh, and has been useful. Okay, that's good.
0: What about you, Sarah? So what have I learned,
1: she's saying. What what,
0: what else, in addition to your formal education, what else did you have to learn? So I think I would say probably thinking
1: out of the box and being a non-traditional thinker. Okay. And why I say that, I think in terms of when I look at my formative education coming from the Caribbean and the British system, I think it was very formal and very structured. Mm -hmm. And I feel as if we were taught a certain way that you know we we were to be we were lectured at we were told mm-hmm. what to do, and I think as much as I was very as I was very scholarly, I feel as if I just followed a certain path, and I did what was expected of me. Mm-hmm. I really didn't deviate from that, and I think when I came to the U.S. and I was put in a position where I had to like think and I you know I was on my own for seventeen. Mm-hmm. And figuring out how to navigate systems and how to navigate structures. I had to think about, well, how could I do things differently? And I think I became a lot more creative and open-minded in the way that I, th- that, I that I thought. And I think also going into entrepreneurship and having to work for myself mm-hmm. with limited resources,
0: right, right,
1: especially as a Black woman, where there's, you know, there's systemic issues that where you know you you have i actually had less access to certain resources mm-hmm. and i had to really think about how can i be creative how could i you know really work work things around in my favor and really think outside of the box to get things done so i would say definitely being creative and being you know and i think i've been non-traditional in a lot of things i've done and i think even the way i think about things i'm not very uh Always politically correct in the way I do things. Okay. okay. Right. I, I, I'll I'll be the first to admit that you know I I um I, I'll definitely push the boundaries. I've been called an antagonist, uh, which which <laughs> uh, you know uh, <laughs> a label which I happily you which I embrace. Right. <laughs> you know. So yeah, I think that's it. But you know yeah. if
2: if, 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 if uh, go ahead, Karen. But in listening, you know, some sitting here and i'm listening to you Saren, and, and michelle you know it it's it's it just do it struck me in this moment that we all three of us took what would be considered a moment of crisis for some and turned it into an opportunity mm-hmm. uh, Michelle, you mentioned that BP was downsizing mm-hmm. and you rather than become paralyzed by that, you saw that as an opportunity. And uh, Saren said the same thing. And from my experience, uh, you know, I mean, we're friends and we talk about stuff and, but to just hear it uh, tonight, because, uh, you know, I decided four years ago when, my, when I was faced with, quote unquote, a crisis as well, that I would make my crisis into an opportunity. Uh, and so it seems as though maybe that's one of the things, in addition to coming from Ghana, that the three of us have in common, that, you know, uh, we turn, we make wonderful, wonderful, tasty lemonades, lemonade with our lemons.
1: I wonder. I wonder where that where that comes from. What do you think? What do you think, Michela? Where do you think that comes from? You think it's because we're we're immigrants? So what it, what is it there, about?
0: I think there's something. It's almost like the fact that we immigrated. Um, i I'm, I know, Karen. You immigrated with your mom. I immigrated mm-hmm. with my my mom. My dad came a couple of years later. And I think I, I think that may have something to do with it because it's like we we all saw what it is to start over in mm-hmm. a new a new place, a new land, a new culture. Mm-hmm. And I think we saw that we can still thrive. We, 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 we were able to figure things out and thrive. So I think I, I do believe it has something to something to do with our immigrant roots, the fact that we were not, you know we are not um, restricted in, 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 in and ba- are bounded by, by, by certain limitations. We, we figure it out, we, we take the manual or we just, you know, we figure it out. I, I think that has something to do with the fact that we are, we are immigrants and we, you know, we, we know what it is. It's like, if, we know that if we can, the fact that we have survived a change such a major change that we can do anything
2: absolutely, absolutely. I, also, I also think uh, our gender mm. our gender identity, you know the fact that we're female uh, women, black women, black immigrant women uh, I mean, when you have kids uh, and you have to put food on the table, you have to do certain things uh, Even if you want to lie down and, you know, play dead, uh, it's just not an option. So my family came over uh, and I think I I came here a a couple of years before you, Michelle, Mm -hmm. and we each came with 33 American dollars. And not that we were wealthy by any stretch of the imagination in Guyana, but certainly not $33. And and, I mean, yeah, I'm talking about in the eighties, but $33 in in the eighties was still not a king's ransom. Mm
0: -hmm. And
2: we had to make do with that. Uh, And, um, you know, I remember, I mean, we had terrible hard times. Uh, I remember someone gave my mom a sweater for Christmas. And that sweater, sweater had to be worn at least three times in a week. My mom wore it one night, one day, we washed it, put it in the radiator, it dried. My sister would wear it the second day, come home, mm-hmm. wash it, put it in the radiator. And I think that, I mean, and I, and, and I was fairly young, and I think that kind of, um, it helped build a certain amount of resilience. Mm-hmm. Well,
1: I want to use uh, that word. I want to use that
2: word. Oh my gosh! <laughs> dying to use. Oh, sorry. That word. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and that you know whatever it is, and and fundamentally I feel whatever it is that I'm going through right now, it's just temporary. It's just you know until I figure it figure it out and get mm-hmm. to the other end. And I think that it's the woman part as well. I mean, I think my brothers are the same, but I feel like I don't have an option. I can't give up. <laughs> yeah, you know, I don't know how you guys feel. Yes, yeah,
1: so, you know, and I uh-huh. I I was dying to actually put the word resilience. You know, I I don't, yes. I don't know if you know this, uh, Michelle, but I my my research is on resilience, is on mm-hmm. entrepreneurship, yes. and so I look at it. Uh, so many things through that frame of resilience Mm -hmm. and as Karen is talking and thinking you know the buzzword is adaptation is that we're able to really I think and there's a lot of research because I'm a very scholar I'll bring up the research too about the fact that immigrants are really adaptable Mm -hmm. I think that's maybe a part of it because I'm even thinking about when I opened up my first business and people were saying oh you're taking such a big risk you know you must be a risk take. And I'm like not really I'm just doing what I had to do right. you know this is the environment I'm in this is what's happening so I'm just gonna do it it's not about I didn't even think about well I don't think I was even really scared it was just that you
0: know this is a change and I'm gonna adapt to this change mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. absolutely absolutely and and I think what, what I see, cause I look at my parents and I see, I'm just amazed that how they came and just restarted. Cause we, you know, we were still teenagers right when we came, right? But I saw where like my mom, when she left Guyana, she was teaching at the teacher's training college. And her first job here was at a childcare center. She was She was at a daycare center. Mm. And I, kids. It's almost like when I see, and then when she retired, she was working at the Board of Education in in, in Brooklyn there. But it's like to see them, con- and you know, without any pride, knowing that you got to start somewhere. It's not about you know having false pride. You, you've got to, it's a job, and you know, she's got she had um, the kids to take care of. But it's like just to see it's like I have no excuse. it's like it's kind of you know <laughs> I, I was married for for a little bit there and I would get so frustrated with 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 my my husband at the time because he was born in America and it's like you have no excuse. I, I can't I just couldn't that like, you know no excuse for not being able to find a job and keep a job because I saw my what my mom did my dad, he was the the uh, CFO at the post office, he came and he was doing temp jobs. And I'm like, you have no excuse. There's too much opportunity in America for you to, 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 to blame someone else for your, your uh, shortcomings. You know what I mean? So I think Mm -hmm. having that example um, um, of my parents really made an impact on me. And, you know, I always revert to it whenever I'm faced with a challenge,
2: I'm like, Oh, if they can figure this out, I can, I can figure this out. You know? Yeah. 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 I, I, I think, I think that, well, the truth is, I mean, there are lots of obstacles in our way. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we saw that this week where this woman who is more qualified than anybody anybody's right. seen, oh, It's right. so like that job is probably mm-hmm. a cakewalk for her right? And look at what she's had to go through. Right. But, um, but yeah, uh, our parents, my mom, she taught in Guyana and she came here and she, I think I remember one time she was a factory worker and then she uh, for, she, she, ultimately became like a, t- a teacher with her specialty in Guyana and here was working with uh, uh, hearing impaired uh, kids. Uh, so she went to uh, she taught here and in Guyana for mm-hmm. uh, at schools for you know the disabled, um, but she also on the weekend she took care of an elderly white man, and that is the job that is what paid for my school for my mm-hmm. my 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 undergrad degree. Uh, that she would go. So my mother worked seven days a week. Wow. For four years and the day i graduated maybe she probably finished maybe she continued working until the end of the month but seven days a week uh for four years right and maybe christmas and some other days off right so i you know i'm like okay if i fall down okay you know i get bruised and beaten up a little bit but i'm gonna get up and go as long as i have you know my faculties and so on Mm -hmm. i feel i'm okay
0: (laughs) Yes, yes, yes.
2: So when you think about leadership,
0: what do you mm-hmm. think are some, because I, you know, I think we're all leaders uh, here in this conversation. What do you think are some keys to effective leadership? Like what has worked for you in terms of uh, of, of, of your leadership journey?
2: Hmm. Um well, I I like to collaborate, mm-hmm. uh, so I am probably the stereotypical woman in terms of my leadership style would be to bring people along, uh, you know. So just help people uh, along, uh, but I also think it's important to have a vision that you can articulate, so that people can be can buy into your vision and be helped along. Uh, but yeah i think that uh i'm more collaborative uh, at some point you know decisions have to be made right mm-hmm. uh but i would i would say it's more collaborative i don't know um i would be interested to hear yours michelle
0: my cuz i was thinking about like you know what what what's what skills um are important for leadership. And I think collaboration is certainly one. Um, and, and having and having a vision. Um, if I were to think of of others, just, just having great listening skills. I think we often as as leaders, we're, we're so busy trying to think of what the person is, how the person is going to answer the question that we miss the listening part of it. So I think a leader you know, has to be a great listener as well. Um, what, what, what are some of yours, Sarah?
1: So I think it's interesting. I am, um, as I was listening to Karen, I, I, I would love to say that I am purely collaborative. Uh, and that would be so easy to say, but I, I don't think I am always. I think, mm-hmm. I, I think I'd probably say I'm more situational. Okay. Uh, because there's sometimes, I think, you know, especially having worked in a business where I have had tons of like teenage uh, interns, mm-hmm. where there's certain people who, who want to be told what to do. And when you present them with, you know, saying you can be part, you know, you can participate in the solution, they're actually quite uncomfortable with that. Mm-hmm. And so I think I've had to actually change style depending upon who I'm dealing with. And um and and again, you know, as having been a small business owner and having to make decisions on the fly, you know, right away, sometimes you cannot always be collaborative. And sometimes mm-hmm. you really have to make that decision. And um and, and I know, and I admit, I, you know, there are times when I do have a hard time delegating. Um, mm-hmm. and, and that's one thing, you know, I've actually tried to work to work on. Uh so but I, you know, I, I do believe definitely you know, in situational leadership. And I think there are situations where people want to be involved in the process and you do involve them in the process. But I think there are also times when people are uncomfortable with that process itself. But I think also, I think as women, I think we tend to be more caring in terms and nurturing in terms of our leadership styles. And it's interesting because I actually, you know, I teach a class on leadership. And I remember I had a session where I had uh, my students, I, I asked them to, you know, give me an example of a leader that they thought that, that they thought that they admired. And interestingly, uh, the women all provided examples of people that they knew and their family members. And the men, without exception, all had like these historical figures that they actually. Thought were great leaders, including Hitler.
0: Interesting.
1: Yes, I think definitely. I think it. I think there is definitely a gender. uh, There's a gender difference. I think in terms of leadership styles, also. Uh,
2: If I may uh, lean into that, uh, I'm wondering whether I I think it must. It it is probably. maybe a little bit learned behavior, like what is rewarded? And in women, women's leadership, leadership coming from women, maybe the more collaborative, uh, the more caring, touchy-feely kind of, I mean, I'm I'm being stereotypical in a way. Uh, Maybe that is what is rewarded as opposed to the, um, the more, for lack of a better term, masculine type, right? And -hmm. we, again, I go back to this week where we saw on TV, Uh uh, was the woman, the black woman, uh, you know, we, we thought that she was so great because she didn't blow up. Right, and she didn't assert herself and say, hey, this is, you know, this is wrong. Uh, And you compare and contrast that to the men who came before her, including the black man who in, when was this 1990 something when Clarence Thomas, uh, he was like, oh, this is high tech lynching, right? And she just had to sit there and take the hits. And hopefully for taking the hits like that, she'll be rewarded by being appointed, right? So little girls watching TV this last week, the lesson they'll learn or probably learn is that as a woman, as a Black woman, uh, when faced with these hostile inquiries and questions and behaviors, it might be best for you to, you know, remain calm and cool and collected and not not display any emotions really and so I'm wondering whether the women in your class whether they were whether they respond to that because we see this is not the first time it's happened right Mm -hmm. uh so I'm just wondering
1: and that's an interesting thing because the and why I say it's interesting because that particular class was filled with international students from different cultures. Interesting. And if that is the situation, then it's something that's maybe almost universal and mm-hmm. that, you know, it crosses cultures in terms of the way that women are b- believe that they're supposed to behave in situations. So that if, you know, if that theory is actually true, and I, it probably is. I think you know, it's interesting that across the board, women feel that way.
0: It's almost like we're programmed at a young age. Mm-hmm. That, that's what it, it's, it sounds like we're programmed. And I wonder if, and these were all traditional age college students. Mm-hmm. I wonder yes. as we get older, if that perspective changes, it would mm-hmm. be interesting to kind of you know to do something similar um, often you hear people talk about servant leadership and that's where you kind of get in the trenches with the people who were who you know who, who report to you and really to get things done. what do y'all think of that? This whole servant leadership concept where you're just getting in there, all hands on deck is that kind of situational or is that a, a, a style that you think would be productive you know? Or, what What are your thoughts on that?
1: Hmm. I mean, I think that's the only leadership. I mean, I, you know, as, as a business owner, that, that I've had to, because I've had, I have been a business owner who's been very much involved in the operations of my store. Mm-hmm. And so I've had to be in the trenches with my employees.
2: Mm-hmm. So that's
1: kind of like the only type of leadership I know. Right, right. You know?
0: And I, and I could think back to when you know the early days of the nonprofit that I ran. It's like I learned everything myself before passing it out. Once we were able to get enough funding to hire additional folks, there was a lot that I did myself. But then once we were able to um, hire folks, I was able to pass it off. But it's like I I made a point of learning everything myself. <laughs> you know, it was just mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's like I ne- I never wanted to be. Like totally dependent on anyone, and that could be, you know, what I saw in in my family setting. Who knows? Where, you know, their women were very, um, very strong women. They they you know held their own. They worked outside the home. So, what what are your thoughts on that, Karen?
2: So I'd say I I I my my definition of servant leadership uh, is a Slightly, it's a little bit similar to yours and a little mm-hmm. bit different to, at the same time. Uh, and I see serving, in, in my definition is when the leader is, is there to serve the followers. And by serving, uh, basically uh, remove obstacles. Mm-hmm. Uh, from their path so they can be successful right? Uh, and so it's all about uh, your employees and what is best for them mm-hmm. and you know so it's 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 more focused on the people mm-hmm. uh, and um, when I think of it that way I one of my better managers and my and I've had many uh, and not and many bad ones was this one manager I had in Minneapolis, who when I met with her, uh, she just wanted to know for me, what was it that I needed from her to get my to do my job? Well, mm-hmm. right. So it wasn't, I mean, yeah, I had a project and all this kind of stuff. But she spent all this time you know, coaching, and it it wasn't. I'm the boss, and you you're gonna do this, and if you don't right, do this, but... and right, it was like, okay, Karen. So, what are some of the obstacles that you see to this, and and help me anticipate them so mm-hmm. that I can remove them. And so that is kind of like how. Maybe I'm totally wrong about this, <laughs> right? Yeah. But that's where I come. And it's a, you know, it's a more humble uh, 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 style of leadership, mm-hmm. not, not top down. Um, so is it effective? I think in many, in some instances, it would be. But to go back to what Sarah was saying, uh, some people need to be told um, and have stricter guidelines and this kind of stuff. So maybe you need to be, maybe you need to have a toolbox, right? Right, right, right. <laughs> and maybe your
0: style shifts depending on the situation, right? Yes, yeah, the situational yeah. leadership, yeah. Right, right, right. So what do you, if you kind of reflect on your career? Um, what do you know now that you wish you knew when you first started? What do you, what do you know now? Would, would you have, Karen, would you have jumped directly into political strategist, a political strategist role, or would you, are you, you know, are you okay with the journey that you, it, it took for you to get to where you are?
2: You know, I'm okay with it mm-hmm. uh, because, you know, I don't think I would have been able to do what I'm doing now. 15 years ago or 20 years.
0: Very ago. good point.
2: Yeah. But, uh, so I think it all builds upon everything. Is It's a buildup. Mm. Uh, and if you, it's, you know, what's, it's that, um, there's that game uh, with all the little uh, blocks. Jenga Jenga, Jenga. 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 Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you pull one out too harshly, there, there yeah. goes everything. So I feel like my life is a little bit like that. And so I can't really pull things out of that, you know. But I wish I had pivoted maybe a few years earlier. So rather than four years ago, Mm -hmm. uh, maybe six, seven, eight years ago, right? Uh, Or maybe I wish I were younger because then I'd have more time to, (laughs) to do what I'm doing, right? Uh, But you know what, Michelle, really and truly, I'm in a good place, Uh, and maybe that's why I'm feeling like everything worked out right for for me or is working out for me, and it is what it is, and whatever comes after this, I'm ready. Yep, and God's perfect timing, right? Yeah. There you
0: go. Exactly, exactly. (laughs) What about you, Saren? What do you know now that you wish you knew when you first started? So I think
1: like for me, I think I'm definitely, the way things happened, I think is the way that they were supposed to happen. And it was based upon God's plan for me. I, you know, I'm very much a believer in, in terms of God, God's uh, will in my life and God's plan for me. Mm-hmm. And I, in terms of, you know, I'm, I'm good at what I do in terms of my research, because I have that experience of mm-hmm. actually being an
0: entrepreneur. Right. That's right. Mm-hmm. I have
1: the experience. It's not of, all
0: theoretical for you. It's not, yeah. you know, and
1: it, mm-hmm. and I have the experience of actually transitioning out of corporate America mm-hmm. into entrepreneurship. I had the experience of experiencing all these different shocks, you know, which is like, I talk about resilience. Mm-hmm. I've gone through, you know, the uh, gentrification, the mm-hmm. great recession, and I've you know, as an entrepreneur, I have weathered all these things and I have been, you know, successful at these things. And I'm able to now really help other people in, in terms of educating them. And also to really just in terms of my, my lens. And when I do my research, I yeah. have that practical experience. Absolutely. So I definitely believe that I'm a firm believer that things happen the way they're supposed to happen in your life. Mm-hmm. And I have so many examples I could tell you of that.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. I think one thing that I wish I knew back then was the importance of networking. Mm-hmm. And just, cause as you know, you guys know, I'm, I'm more of the, re, I'm more reserved at my core. I'm, I'm shy and, and introverted but it's like, I wish, but I make myself you know, kind of do, go out and be and talk to folks and do all that. But it's like, I wish I knew earlier how important that is. Um, Cause you know, I was just about, just gonna, you know, keep my head down, get the work done, you know, and I thought that that other stuff was just like fluff and, you know, just folks who are trying to get now to do work. <laughs> I'm getting out of doing work. <laughs> so it's like I wish I knew the importance of networking sooner. So that, that's, that's mine. Just kind of switching gears some, um, you know, as I mentioned earlier, we were three were connected because we were, you know, engaged in service to our, our old school and, and our native land. So, and all of that is really um, philanthropy. What we were doing is really um, philanthropy, giving of our time and talents. And, and our treasures um, back to, to someone else. So why, why is this work important to you? Why is giving back important to you? Saren, you wanna start this time? Sure. So
1: I believe that we are all given different talents and skills mm-hmm. and we have a purpose in our lives. And I think we, need to be able to and we should be able to when we when we're given certain gifts and talents and skills to help others who may not have similar situations mm-hmm. to us right and i definitely think so that's part of just who i am mm-hmm. and this is part of me in terms of why i also became an academic in terms of wanting to share my knowledge and it's also part of why i also have been very involved i think in diaspora and giving back to Guyana, because I believe that, you know, that I, the things that I have learned, I mean, talk about knowledge networks, Karen, that, you know, you talked about this on the panel the other day, you know, about knowledge networks, and transferring knowledge,
0: Mm
1: -hmm. uh, human capital, and all the resources from that we have actually gained, because at the end of the day, you know, I think we are who we are, because we were a product Mm -hmm. of Guyana, and I think being Guyanese is a large part of who I am, mm-hmm. and I'm appreciative of that. And I really want to give back because I believe that that is a large part. I was given so much by
2: mm-hmm.
1: being Guyanese in the Guyanese, you know, like that society. Mm-hmm. And I really believe that I, you know, I, I, it's my duty
0: to give back. Yeah, and that, that reminds me of the script, the scripture that comes come to mind as you speak is it to whom much is given much is required that's exactly. ex- that, that's it exactly like we, were, we were so yeah. blessed by the upbringing. you know simple upbringing you yeah. know we, we just just the basics but we that's that foundation we received in guyana it, i think it behooves us to mm-hmm. you know to give back and to who much is given much is required mm-hmm. um karen you want to weigh in on that one
2: so uh Exactly. To whom much is given, much is required. Uh, And I feel like I was given a lot. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was given a lot by a number of people uh, from the time I was in Guyana as a little girl. And, um, you know, and I continue to receive gifts from people, all kinds of gifts, not right. intangible, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, so I feel like I, I have an obligation to pass it on, mm-hmm. right? To, 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 to do the same for others. Right. Right. In addition, I think I mentioned earlier that I, uh, was, I was raised in the countryside and, but, but then went to school in Georgetown. Mm-hmm. So, country girl travel every day to town and come back home. And I feel like the disparity, the in inequality—not. I feel I know that I saw the inequality, a lot of inequality, and that registered. Mm-hmm. It registered, and it—and even then, it always it made an impact. Then that I would go to school, I would get on this bus, go to school. And uh, the kids, as you know, many kids, many of the kids in our high school were fans, were from fancy families, show forward, uh, vacations, you know, just living life, right? Or, or, or privileged. And then I would go home and the, there were kids in my village who were going to school like barefooted and having showers, you know, having to bathe in the trench, Right. Uh, And, you know, the school didn't have uh, indoor plumbing. Uh, And I knew that. And my family was not wealthy at all. Uh, But whatever it is that we had, there were people who were much worse off in Mm -hmm. the village. Mm -hmm. And we had to share. Uh, And so I think that uh, had a huge impact on me. The fact that, uh, my family, whatever, whenever we had anything good, like let's say someone came from the U.S. and gave us, you know, sardines or whatever, multiple t- tins, my aunt or my grandma my mother would say, okay, we have to keep this for this person and this or that one because, you know, we don't know what's going on. You know, they're falling hard times, whatever. So I kind of like grew up with this in, in me. So here I am in the U.S. I'm at a certain point where, yeah, I can make like different kinds of decisions. Of course, I'm going to go back and give uh, give back a little bit of what I I have to offer. It might not be much, but it might. I mean, just it might just be sardines, right? <laughs> uh, but um, but and 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 I think that. Even I look, when I look at what I'm doing now, uh, the role that I'm in now, it is largely driven because of the inequalities that I see uh, around me. Uh, I, you know, when, I, my, when I look at the disparity in education, right, the education that you can receive if you go to one of the elite private schools in New York, versus your neighborhood public school. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's like night and day. Uh, Housing, I've gone into public housing here in New York. And I mean, it's, people shouldn't live like that. Mm -hmm. And I'm I'm in a country, you know, we say that we're land of plenty and, and there are people who are going hungry. So anyway. Uh, these are things. Clearly, you see how passionate I am about it no. <laughs> all. Right. So uh, I go back to Guyana, The times that we've gone back to Guyana, it's because I am driven. I am driven to give back, and and regardless of where I am, I feel like I have to help other people.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. So as we as we wind down the conversation, that you know we, we this world we're going through so much. We're you know there's war, there's inflation, there's a lot that we you know we're still in the midst mm-hmm. of COVID, COVID is still here. COVID is still here. Who would have who would have imagined? Over two years later, we're still dealing with COVID. So what gives you hope as you look to the future, in spite of everything? What gives you hope?
1: Karen Hugo. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a tough one. that's such a tough one, Karen. What gives me hope? I think it's just, I think my faith gives me hope. I think just my faith in God, I think it d- drives a lot of what I see in terms of my future mm-hmm. and where things are at. I just, I, that's the only thing I can say is I believe it's, it's my faith in God. Mm-hmm.
2: so there is a martin luther king uh quote well he has many of them but one of them uh is a favorite of mine and it's the arc the moral arc of the universe uh is long but it bends towards justice, justice. Mm-hmm. and that's that is what gives me hope uh i feel like uh things may not change, you know, have, there may not be a huge leap in my lifetime. Mm -hmm. Uh, Things are going to be incremental, but I do believe that uh, it bends towards justice. The arc is long, it bends toward justice, and at some point in time, things will be different. And I think this is borne out by facts as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're going through a terrible moment now, uh, but we've gone through terrible periods in the past as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, Our ancestors, whether they were here in the US or in Guyana, uh, went through terrible, horrible experiences. And they probably at times thought it would be never ending I, and here it is that the three of us are in three different places on Zoom mm-hmm. talking about privilege and uh, going back to Guyana and and what motivates us and our journey and so on. Our ancestors way but you know probably didn't have that option. Mm-hmm. They were probably trying to just make it through the night.
0: Right, right right.
2: But it bends that arc, bends the justice, and that is why we're here. And I believe that uh, in a hundred years from now, uh, things would be better, and things would not be better. Some things would be bad, would be different, mm-hmm. and some will not. So we would. So yeah. So I am hopeful.
1: Absolutely. So when you when you say justice, right?
2: Justice for whom? Uh, justice for all of us, mm-hmm. all of us. Uh, I think that um, for Black Americans for or African Americans, uh, I think uh, we are moving forward, obviously not fast enough. Mm-hmm. And in some instances, I feel we take One step forward, two steps backwards. Mm -hmm. But then sometimes we get three quick steps (laughs) and then we're stagnant. Mm -hmm. And then we have a step back. So it's a journey. And I do believe, I do feel like things are improving, not fast enough uh, and not wide enough. But this is we're in it for the long haul.
0: Right. And I I think what also, very, very good ladies. I think what, you know, I'm a person of faith. So it's definitely my, my faith in God gives me hope, but I'm also encouraged by the younger people, the younger generation of folks who are really fighting for justice and, 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 and really um, working for, for equity and, it it they they give me hope because it's almost like I think you, you get to a point in life where your what you can do directly is maybe limited, um, but I, I think just investing time and resources in the younger generation, the folks who can who are coming up behind us, who are gonna you know take us over the finish line almost. It, it, it's really that to me gives give, that gives me a lot of hope just being able to invest in those who are um, fighting for justice
2: Mm
0: -hmm. um, for all people, um, Mm -hmm. they give me hope. So, all right, ladies, that's it for our conversation. If you wanna close, what's next? What's next for you all? What's what's (sighs) next? We have to get back to Guyana. We have to do a project. Can we get a project done in 2022? I don't know. this
2: is 2032.
1: Karen has a brand new job so I'll talk for Karen. I know she
2: she, can't do it take off (laughs)
1: willy-nilly. I have publications to do so I have publications to get in. We have to
0: get a a trip a project on the calendar ladies if not this year definitely early next next year year.
2: next year Uh, but But, you um, know certainly we could do something remote this year yeah. Certainly, you know, uh, certainly we can. And we certainly, you know, I feel like we are doing, this is a project, right? Right. Yeah. Uh, and uh, you, you're you doing something tomorrow and that, you know, another project and we're doing things. We're just not physically going to Guyana, but virtually- we
0: different, different initiatives, right? Different initiatives. Kind of making, making that After lemonade. I actually eliminate am doing. I
1: actually am doing research this summer in Guyana. It's like I completely for, I completely forgot about that. Oh, are well, what are you researching? Entrepreneurship. Tell us more. So, just, you? <laughs> just about uh, how Black entrepreneurs in Guyana survive shocks, and I'm looking at COVID, and also looking at political shocks. So when there's a shock, you know, a change a change to the political system. How does that affect Black entrepreneurs? So, you know, it's, it's, you know especially uh, when we said last year, when the, the, polit- the regime, the political system changed from one uh, where it was majority Black to majority to now Indian, how does that affect um, and those race relations affect Black entrepreneurs again and, and their survival and
0: their, their outcomes? That should be great. Thank you, ladies. Thank you for your time with the time to zoom by. So um, it's been a pleasure having you on Fostering Solutions. Thank you for having us, Michelle. Can't wait to see you all in New York soon. Thank you, Michelle. Love you, love you, Love
2: you
1: you guys. guys. No, let me not say guys. Love you ladies.
2: Love you ladies. Love you fantastic, phenomenal women. Phenomenal (laughs) women.